Today on the Lazy RPG Talk Show, we're going to talk about the latest issues going on with the whole open gaming license fiasco that's going on. I'm going to tell you about the kind of feedback that I offered to Wizards of the Coast on their on their survey for the OGL. We're going to talk about some of the industry reactions. What are some of the things that are happening in the community for role-playing games based on this massive bit of whatever this massive explosion around the OGL what has happened to other companies what are everybody doing I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this show and the work that I do and the relationship that you and I have and what some of the promises that I can make to you as we sort of all re-baseline what it means to be part of this hobby I actually have a cure for the OGL blues are you are you down in the dumps because of the OGL I have something that has helped me kind of get out of it so we're going to talk about that there's also the deep magic one and two kickstarter going on by Cobalt Press there are two Two big humble bundle and bundle of holdings going on. Two big bundles that are available with tons and tons of role-playing games and accessories for very low money. We're going to look at those. And we're going to cover our first batch of, of January 2023 Patreon questions for the Patreon Q&A. I'm Mike Shea, your pal from Sly Flourish, here to talk about all things in role-playing games. This show is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to get access to all kinds of exclusive adventures, the City of Arches sourcebook, the Patreon Q&A, a dedicated Discord channel, whole bunch of access to other things, you can do so by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. There is a link to become a patron in the show notes below to the patrons of Sly Flourish. Thank you so much for your support. The OGL fiasco continues, and as much as I would absolutely prefer to just talk about role-playing games and talk about the things that we can do to make our role-playing games great. The reality is our industry has completely changed overnight, practically. In the last three weeks, our entire industry, our entire relationship with this game has changed completely, and lots of things are going on. So the, the big thing that happened is on Thursday, Wizards of the Coast, who has been backpedaling a lot, trying to figure out how they can restore the trust that we have with D&D, put out a note saying, here are some of the things that we're doing. And some of them were actually surprising. I, I was genuinely surprised to see that they are going to release part of the 5.1 SRD, the core rules of D&D, not classes, not races, not monsters, not magic items, and not spells, but the engine of the game. Game. They're going to release under a Creative Commons license, a Creative Commons attribution license, which means you can use it for commercial work. The Creative Commons license is not a license that Wizards controls, which means they can't find some loophole and try to get it back later. They can absolutely not do that. And a lot of the core mechanics of the game are released. Now, what's funny about this is you talk to a lot of people and the, the, the a lot of people say, oh, congratulations on releasing everything that was already not protected under copyright. In other words, it was very unlikely. It's potentially unlikely. I don't want to say very unlikely. We don't know exactly what the odds are because it's never been proven in court but there are good arguments to be had that the kind of stuff that they are releasing under this creative commons license is the kind of stuff you actually didn't need any kind of license to be able to use in the first place none of it had been proven in court though so it wasn't really sure so all this does is give a consideration that wizards of the coast has officially said whether or not you could use it we know that you can because we are specifically doing it. So they, they put that out. And then they said, okay, and we're putting out a new OGL 1.2. We're putting out a draft and we're going to get feedback on it. And there were a lot of things in there that had gone back from where they had before. You do not have to report your income. You don't have to register your product. There is no royalty. They, they say in here that there's no royalty. Of course, the license itself doesn't say anything about a royalty and a bunch of other stuff. But really what's happened is in the community, everybody has become an intellectual property lawyer overnight. All of us. We're all like, oh my God, we're all putting on our, our shades and we're all like line going through this thing. And I'm like, I get the hypocrisy of saying, 
we're really mad about this thing you did. And they say, well, give us feedback. And then we say, well, how dare you make us spend all of our time on feedback? But the reality is we're not intellectual property lawyers. And we're also busy. I wish I could send them a bill for the amount of time that I have spent pontificating this whole problem and reading their nonsense and sending them feedback. I should, I should be able to send them a bill because holy cow, it's a lot of my time that I didn't have. Time that I could have spent doing lots of other things that I had to focus on this had to i don't know i suppose i could have stuck my head in the sand and not worried about it but i also feel like i have a responsibility to you to help figure out this stuff so i spent pretty much all friday looking at all of the feedback from lots of people lawyers who had read it other third-party publishers who had read it lots of people who are angry and skeptical and have background in this to say with what they provided with what they said what kind of useful feedback can we provide? And I wrote an emergency Sly Flourish article on Friday. I don't publish articles on Friday. I think, yeah, Friday, I, I think I sent it out Friday. And I emailed it to the Sly Flourish newsletter as well because I thought this was important enough that people, you know, I wanted to provide this feedback. And my goal was to say, it's really hard to understand what all of the issues around this are. So how can I simplify those issues as much as possible and say, here are the pieces of feedback that we, that you may want to provide. I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm trying to help dissect this really complicated problem and turn it into things that normal people who just love the game can do. And that is in this article. If you haven't done the survey and you're curious about it, you can, there'll be a link to this in the show notes below and you can read it. But I'm going to very briefly go over the main things. So my number one piece of feedback is don't try to deauthorize the OGL 108. It's not even sure you can legally do so. A lot of lawyers have said you can't because there's nothing about deauthorization in the in the thing itself. Third-party companies have said, we're just going to keep using it. We don't we don't care if you say it's deauthorized. We don't think you can do that. And you can try to sue us and we will try to figure, you, you, we will, we will, we will push back on that. So just don't do it, right? The answer is exactly like what Penny Arcade said. You, you walked into this on your own volition. You can turn around and walk right out. Don't deauthorize the OGL. That's number one. And don't forget about the fact that deauthorizing the OGL 10A has tremendous problems with products that had released their information to other people. You're shattering a chain. There's these downstream effects. The minute you try to deauthorize it, it means people who wanted to use the license to share their stuff now can't actually do that anymore. Terrible thing. So just don't do it. Two, I, I applaud them using Creative Commons. And actually, that's really helpful because we know Creative Commons is much stronger than any of the OGL licenses that we've seen. We know that it's used much wider. And it's not like Wizards is ever going to be able to nitpick Creative Commons to be able to get something back again because they will, you know, a million software companies will sue them to non-existence. So if you're going to release stuff under the Creative Commons, include lists, the, the, the lists of the names of races and species, spells, magic items, and monsters. That way we know that you know that we can go ahead and use those terms in products and that you're not going to come after us. Again, the reality is probably under copyright law, we can already do that. You, you, you can't be sued for using the word skeleton in your product, in your, in your adventure, right? You can't be sued for using the word death knight in your product, even though death knight isn't in the SRD. Death knight is not a trademarked term of Wizards of the Coast. You can use terms like these legally. So we want to know that they know that that's the case, just like what they're doing with the rest of it. So just add those names in, the names of monsters, the names of spells, the names of magic items, and the names of species. And that way, if we're writing an adventure and we're referring to those, we know that you know that we're cool, right? Which is really all this is, because we probably could do it anyway. I'm pretty sure I could do all this anyway and not use any license at all, as long as I'm not directly copying large pieces of text out of their copywritten material. Even better, you really want to turn this around? Hey, Wizards, I don't know if you're listening. If you are, help. Help us, please. We want to love this game like we loved it three weeks ago. 
here's something you could do that would turn this around for me. And that is release the entire 5.1 SRD under a Creative Commons license. That would be better than where we were. Because even if you walk back and say, okay, we've changed our mind. We're not going to deauthorize the OGL 10A. We're just back to where we were. And you just stole three weeks of my life. So instead, do something better. A, either release more material. Better is release the entire 5.1 SRD under the same Creative Commons license. That way we know that you know that we can do it and it's out there and everything's good. That would, you know, if you did that this week, next week, I would be on the show saying, good for you. Then in the OGL 1.2 contract itself, there's a bunch of things. The biggest one that people hung on, and this is a really big issue, is that Wizards of the Coast had said, hey, we are the ones to arbitrate what hateful content is, and you can't even argue with us about it. That's absolutely ridiculous. The idea that Wizards of the Coast is going to be the one to arbitrate what hateful content is and that they can cancel any license of any product for them determining it. A million people are already angry about this, so I don't need to talk about it. But let's not forget the fact that they put out a book four months ago that had to be reprinted because of hateful content. So they are clearly not the ones that should be able to hold on to that. The current draft does not say royalty free. It should say royalty free. Make it truly irrevocable. They sort of change the definition of what irrevocable means that, oh, we mean that we can't pull this contract from your product. It doesn't mean that they can't pull the contract back overall make this whole license irrevocable you cannot take this back and once you've put it out regardless of where it's used because i don't want to have this conversation ever again i don't ever want to be here again so let's not do this again so put it out there and keep it out there rewrite the termination clause the termination clause was way too wide had far too reach, reaching appeal and didn't tell anything oh if you ever use any of our ip anywhere we can cancel your contract and nobody knows what that means and nobody knows how that's arbitrated in law sure rewrite the severability clause the severability clause has that, that gives weird loopholes for wizards to invalidate the license and we're like oh well that's not their intention their intention isn't to use the severability clause to do it except the intention of the original OGL 1.0a was that it was perpetual and irrevocable and Wizards of the Coast found one tiny little potential loophole again we're not even sure they can legally do it and they're twisting that little tiny loophole so that means if they wanted us to trust this license we would have to assume there is not any single tiny loophole in this license that could be exploited the same way wizards is already exploiting a loophole in the current license honestly i don't know if we're ever going to get there i don't think we can trust a license from wizards of the coast no matter what but these are examples where we everybody is seeing loopholes and the only good thing is i guarantee you far more people are paying attention to the text of this license than paid attention to the text of the original ogl 1.0a lawyers are talking about it all the time and then there's other stuff, little, little odds and ends. You can read about it in the note. And one thing to note is there's a whole line about the VTT heap side of this that I am not really paying attention to. I really just don't have the bandwidth to pay attention to the whole thing. And there are other people that are far more interested in all the VTT stuff. There's definitely problems with the VTT side too. Lots of weird issues there. I just can't get into it. So that's the feedback that I provided. I emailed it out to people on the Sly Flourish newsletter. If you want to join the newsletter, there's a link in the show notes below. I also put it up on my blog and there's a link down in the show notes if you want to see it. And that's if you want to provide information you want to see what other people have said i tried these aren't just mine like i didn't come up with all this stuff i got it by looking at reddit posts and discord conversations all over the place and just tons of material all different material from all different people that are paying a lot of attention to this i tried to boil it down get it clean clearly offer what feedback we could and offer it here but the number one thing is don't attempt to deauthorize the one the ogl 10a because we're not even sure you can and yeah so so that's where that is so the industry has been completely, uh, has exploded in this area. There are tons of things going on with all of many, many big and small third-party companies going in many different directions, trying to do everything. And the good news is everybody's angry. 
it feels like. And all of that anger is going towards attempts to try to fix this or make things. So I've seen videos from independent publishers who are saying, I'm making my own, RP my own RPG. I wanted to support 5e. I can't trust it anymore. I'm making my own RPG. And a lot of people are going in different directions like that. Some of the biggest things that have been going on, lots of different avenues where lots of different third-party groups are going on, but some of the biggest things, probably one of the biggest is Cobalt Press talking about their project, Black Flag. So Cobalt Press is building their own RPG. And it looks like they are making an RPG that's going to be 5e compatible, which I think is really useful. I don't know exactly how they're going to do this, but their intent is to build an RPG. They're going to play test it next month. So they actually, the rumor is that they've already been working on this since the summer. I don't know if it's a rumor. I think they said that, that they've been working on this since the summer. And we know that it is compatible enough with 5e that their own deep magic books are going to be compatible with it. So it's possible that it's sort of like what happened with my sequel in Oracle, that it will fork over. There'll be a new fifth edition fork that a third party publisher will put out. And all of the stuff that was, or hopefully a lot or much of the stuff that was compatible with 5e is also compatible with this, which means we now have this entire open ecosystem that does not have Wizards of the Coast in it involved at all. That all of the products that are originally 5e compatible are compatible with Black Flag and that Black Flag's material is compatible with 5e. If all of that manages to work together, and there's, I think that it's possible, there's always questions of like how much in the how much do things need to change to make sure that wizards of the coast couldn't come after you at all it means that your lawyers now have to be involved in game design and that kind of sucks i mean we we love lawyers right i i have friends that are lawyers and some of my best friends are lawyers but like you you don't want to necessarily have to do game design because of law you want game design because of good game design so but here we are, right? We're in this state where we have a, a parasitic bad actor. And so since we have a parasitic bad actor, we need to be designing the game in order to defend the game against a parasitic bad actor. So Black Flag looks like it's headed in that direction. Cobalt Press, of course, is, is big. They've produced tons and tons of material. Celeste Conowich is the lead designer on it, which is awesome. And I, I, you know, I have a lot of high hopes for this. So I'm, I'm excited to see this one in particular because... I really think it's crucial to have a game that's 5e compatible. I like Cobalt Press's design a lot. And I think it means that we could have a new open hub to this entire game. N-World Publishing has said that they are looking at the A5e side of it as well. The advanced, the level up advanced 5e side to try to figure out how they can publish that without having to be any, under any kind of license or under their own open license. And if they do that, then we would have another fork, which I think would also be great. It means that we can have different variants of 5e. You could pick which variant of 5e you want to play, but it all remains compatible with all of the monsters, all of the spells, all of the subclass, all the other stuff that's out there. Ideally, you can bring all of that in and tie it to whichever version of 5e you want to play. Then we have a really powerful ecosystem. We have a really powerful system for, for design development and play. So I'm very excited to see Black Flag. I'm watching that very heavily. You, many people have also seen that information about the Orc license that Paizo, the publishers of Pathfinder, say we are going to finance, we are going to fund the creation of a new open license called Orc. It is not our license. It is a community license. It will be originally held by a law firm that Paizo and many other third-party publishers work with. That law firm will hold the license. And then when the license is solidified, it will be given to a nonprofit group to be held outside. So it's sort of like creating a Creative Commons license 
uh, for the RPG community that isn't held by any one company. So there's development of that. You can join their mailing list to get involved. You, there's also a Discord server that's exploded where people are talking about it. I signed up to be, I'm, 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 a, I'm a supporter of this idea, so I am on their list. I don't know how much I'm going to use it. And of course, the license isn't out yet, so we'll have to see that because I'm leaning towards Creative Commons. I, I know that Creative Commons works and I've seen it and I've used it for products that I have in the past. So I'm leaning more towards Creative Commons of when I'm going to release my own stuff. But I'm very eager to see what they do with, with the Orc license. And of course, I fully support groups that are on board with the Orc license. And there are many, many, many third-party publishers that have joined on board. So we're going to see we're going to see how that goes. Matt Colville over at MCDM has already been talking about the fact that they're thinking about an RPG, but now this certainly lit the fire and now they are doing more. Matt has talked about some of the design principles on his streams. He's shown a little bit on Twitch. We still don't know a whole lot. Like they've really, they're really in the earliest stages of it. So we really don't know what kind of game it's going to be. Almost certainly it is not a fifth edition compatible game from everything I can tell. It looks like it might even not use the standard dice. It might use special dice. So we'll see how that goes. I also know it's going to be very much a gridded tactical game. Not exactly my style so we'll see where they go but of course it's going to have a lot of energy and a lot of interest and i will be i will be definitely watching it along that line mcdm said that they are actually going to stop doing arcadia and they're going to be switching to lore based stuff for their game world i actually don't know and you know none of my business right they can do what they want i don't know why they would get rid of calling it arcadia i don't think arcadia was so wired around fifth edition mechanics that they couldn't just pivot arcadia to focus more on lore and story and setting and material that you could use for any game I think they could have just stuck with Arcadia and kept going with the way they were going. But they wanted to kind of draw a line in the sand and switch. So it looks like in about four or five months, they're going to be switching over from Arcadia to this other thing. The other thing is going to be more lore, story, setting, material, which I, 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 I love. I actually prefer that more than the mechanics. A lot of time, the mechanics stuff I don't really use. But lore and setting and all that stuff, I use that stuff all the time. So I'm, I'm very interested to see where they're, where they're going with that. And there's just everybody's doing something right in this entire industry. Everybody's paying attention to this and many companies pretty much overnight and not quite overnight, but like in the last three weeks have radically changed their approach. And, and I'm one of them. Like I'm, I'm one who is re looking at my relationship with this game and my relationship to you, the DMS and the GMs and the players who want to play this and how that switches. You'll notice that the name of my show is now the lazy RPG talk show instead of the lazy D and D talk show, because I want to expand out. I want to talk about other RPGs. RPGs. I've black flag. You know, I still can kind of think like all of this is still D&D to me. And that's fine. But I'm also going to, you know, we all recognize that these are RPGs as well. So I'm definitely going to be focusing more on RPGs. And so it's the Lazy RPG Talk Show and Lazy GM Prep instead of Lazy DM Prep. You're going to see a little bit of tiny little changes to branding that kind of show that, hey, I'm expanding out to kind of cover more things than just just D&D, which I've already been doing. I've already talked about other RPGs. I've certainly talked about third party products. So I don't think that that's really that big a switch. But everybody's paying attention and everybody's doing a lot of shifting around. So what does this mean for me and you? I talked a little bit about this in my first OGL video that I am here to support you, the game masters who are running games for your friends, and that is going to continue. But I want to make sure, I wanted to solidify a few things because like I did my, I did a video about 10 other RPGs that you could play other than D&D. It was pretty popular. But of course, many of the comments were, you forgot about role-playing game X. And it's not that I didn't forget about it. It's that I can only cover so many different role-playing games. I only know about so many role-playing games and i've certainly only played some some role-playing games so one thing i want to make perfectly clear 
whatever RPG you're playing, I'm on your side. I have no, there are certainly games that I prefer. There are certainly games that I have problems with, just like everybody does. I don't feel there are any good or bad role-playing games. I think that we each get to determine what role-playing games work well for us and our style and for the style of the player, for the the players and the kind of style that they like. Whatever role-playing game you're playing, I'm on your side. If it is pure vanilla, fifth edition D&D published by Wizards of the Coast over D&D Beyond, I am on your side. If it's Pathfinder 2 by Paizo, I am on your side. If it is your tiny homegrown little fate thing that you made, I am on your side. If it is Honey Heist, I'm on your side. If it's 10 Candles, I'm on your side. Whatever role-playing game you are enjoying, I want to try to help us all learn how to run role-playing games a little bit better and make the games more fun for our friends, whatever those role-playing games are. I have no... In my, in my heart, I will never tell anybody, oh, you're playing the wrong game. You, if you are playing it and you're enjoying it, you're good. So that's number one. Me not mentioning a game is not a slight against that game. It probably means I don't know about it or I don't know enough about it to, to speak. How come you don't talk about more Pathfinder stuff? Big one is, A, I don't play it. And B, lots of other people talk about Pathfinder. You don't need, to me, you don't need me to talk about Pathfinder. You can find a million Pathfinder videos on YouTube. You can find a, a million people talking about Pathfinder. It is clearly the second biggest RPG. So there's lots of material about it. So you can talk about that. And the other one is like, I'm not going to be bashing D&D. I love D&D. I, I still play it. I have three campaigns going on with D&D. And I still love that a lot too and i'm i'm very badly hurt by by what happened but i still love DD the game i still love fifth edition a lot i still think fifth edition is a fantastic system so i'm still going to be talking about fifth edition and i'm still going to be talking about the material that we can use to make our fifth, edi- fifth edition games better but the big one is whatever your role-playing game is you are you and i are good we we are we are we are on the same side and my goal is just to help us all run great games right? I want to help GMs run great RPGs. That's my goal. This isn't a big shift for me. I ran Numenera for six months last last year. I ran Blades in the Dark. I try to take material from all kinds of other games. I love Shadow of the Demon Lord. I love 13th Age. There's a lot of RPGs I want to learn about. There's a lot of RPGs I want to play. So I don't think this is a huge shift in the kind of work that I've done. But now there's a little bit of a prod. There's a little bit of a, hey, it's really time to expand out from, from just the, 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 the work of one company. I now want to offer up what I have found to be a cure to the OGL blues. I got sick about the same time that all of the OGL stuff happened. So I was dealing with with physical maladies as well as maladies to my favorite role-playing game all at the same time. And it meant that I had to cancel a whole pile of games. And then I got better and I had the opportunity to run a game for my group. And I found that even though I was still all twisted around the axle, around the OGL stuff, it was right in the middle of it. I'm st- it was, I was really mad. I, I did my show and then I ran a game and I felt so much better and just me and my friends around a table playing a game was great and that there wasn't a part of me that ever felt like we're going to lose this that this thing that we've got here that we're enjoying that we're going to lose it because I knew we were not going to they can't take it away from us nobody can take it away from us that same group played Numenera it played Blades in the Dark they're eager to play other RPGs we will carry on and we'll be able to play games the cure that I have found for the OGL blues is run run games Run a D&D game, run an RPG, whatever game you want to play. And remember that it's yours. Nobody else is sitting there between you and your players to play that game. That is something that I found to be really powerful. It's something that reminded me about what this hobby is all about. And that even though myself and many others are really tied up in this whole controversy, the game itself is strong. And the game, whether it's 5e, whether it's another RPG, 
we we can still get around the table with our friends, roll some dice, share some stories and have some fun and have some laughs. And that was never so clear to me as when I ran a game right in the middle of the controversy. So that's something I really wanted to share. If you are feeling if this is whole thing is getting you down, don't let it pull you away from the game. Instead, set it aside and go and run one. Go get some friends together and say, hey, we're going to play a, a quick game of something. There's lots of different ways to do that. And if you want to try a different RPG to do so, that's also really cool. Kobold Press, probably one of the largest fifth edition producers of material, one of the largest RPG producers, launched a Kickstarter in the middle of all this called the Deep Magic 2 Spellcasters Emporium for fifth edition games. This is their second. Wow, the numbers are jumping while I'm looking at it. This is the second Deep Magic book, a book of magic spells that Kobold Press has put out. They put out Deep Magic 1 as well a while back. And this Kickstarter is actually going to update Deep Magic 1, which is good because some of the stuff in Deep Magic 1 was a little little hinky a little bit kind of off some of the balance was off some of the things were a little bit weird i didn't mind because it's like i didn't expose the whole book to all of my players and all my characters i used them for like one use magic item stuff so the, the fact that the spells are off a little bit wasn't a big deal the other big reason i am happy to see that they're doing deep magic one and deep magic two is that the printing quality of Co of cobalt press books has gone up significantly in the last year the the books that they have put out in physical print in the last year are way better than the books than the quality of the print that they had done previously so I'm very eager to see them updating their books with this new print quality. And I would, I buy a lot of RPG stuff and I would definitely buy them again. So I backed actually both books in print and get them. So there you, there is, we have a nice table of contents here. Let's see. Nice table of contents of the kind of stuff that they're going to have. And it looks like they're going to have a lot of character options available. So it's not just, just pure spells, but it's also lots of other things, lots of other things that you can get in this book as well. And what they say is that this is going to be compatible with Black Flag. So they have their new RPG, which they're going to be playtesting in February. They're going to be developing over the next year. Sounds like they've already been working on it for a while. And the stuff that's in this book is going to be compatible with that, which means we have a book that is now compatible with other books. We sort of have this wide, inc wide ecosystem. If there was any worry that this whole OGL controversy was going to hurt the market so far, that doesn't appear to be true. 5,000 backers have backed it. They're backing it at almost about $80 average on the, on the backing for the Cobalt Press Kickstarter. Again, I backed it. I backed it for both, both books. 130. Ooh, a little, a little costly. For 130, you get the PDFs of both books, you get the licenses to run them in Roll20, you get, and then two hardcover books in a slipcase for Deep Magic 1 and Deep Magic 2 in a slipcase. So good, good deal of material. Not, you know, it's, 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 it's certainly not inexpensive, but comes with a lot of material and I'm, I'm definitely excited. So I backed, I definitely backed it at the $129. I like their print quality a lot. I want physical versions of the books and I'm happy to get the PDFs and everything else along with it. So that is Deep Magic 2, kickstarted by Kobold Press for the, for a bunch of different spells, styles of magic, new classes, new subclasses, all kinds of different things that you can get for your fifth edition fantasy role-playing games. Link to that is in the show notes below. There are two huge but bundles of holding slash humble bundles that are a kind of a reaction to this thing that's been going on ways to expand our view into other games other systems other worlds the first one we're going to look at is the huge rpg humble bundle this one includes 52 different books including southlands the vault of magic old school essentials the book of ebon tides castles and crusades empire of the ghouls just tons of different southlands player's guide city of cats Whole RPG systems, whole piles of stuff for 5th edition, giant, 
giant amounts of, of stuff. Many products in here I don't know anything about. 52, the ultimate bestiary, the dreaded accursed, which is really cool. Lots of different Matoma Beasts, two layers. Just piles and piles and piles of RPG material. And the cost for this one is $25 PDFs. So you are getting a tremendous value of material. Less than 50 cents a PDF. Now, granted, some of these are bigger than other ones, but even some of these big ones are like $20, $15, $20 PDFs, $25 PDFs. So you're getting just an incredible amount of material for, for $25. I can't, I, 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 I have seen fewer, I don't know if I've ever seen a deal this good in any kind of bundle. So this is a humble bundle that you can get. You can find a link to this humble bundle in the show notes below. The other one is a bundle of holding called Alternatives to D&D. It has some of my favorite RPGs in it. This one, if you pick it up, it is, let's see, how much do you have to pay for the, 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 what's the threshold? So for this one, for $28, you get the entire collection and bonus collection of RPGs that includes Five Torches Deep, Tiny Dungeons, Chivalry and Sorcery, Basic Fantasy RPG and Field Guide, Lightmaster, Dungeon Crawl Classics, Shadow of the Demon Lord, Hackmaster's Player's Guide, Forged Empire 1E, and Frag- Fragged Kingdom. Some of those I've not heard of. There's a lot of these RPGs I haven't heard of. There are many of these that I've, I've heard of and I, I adore. I love Shadow of the Demon Lord. I you know really like Five Torches Deep. Dungeon Crawl Classics is cool. Lots of different RPGs in here that you can pick up. So if you're looking to quickly build a collection of different RPGs other than D&D, you can pick this up. So just over $28 gives you access to all these RPGs. You can find a link to this humble bundle, this bundle, sorry, this bundle of holding for alternatives to D&D down in the show notes below. So lots of good opportunities to try out different systems and to pick up PDFs of these systems for pretty cheap. Let's do our first set of questions from January 2023 for the Sly Flourish Patreon Q&A. First question is from Rich S. How do you keep your games from ballooning out of control? I'm currently running a modified version of Curse of Strahd. I'm finding that despite cutting storylines and streamlining less relevant sections, my custom material keeps getting bigger and bigger. It's not because I want it to, it's never your fault, but my PCs keep engaging minor NPCs or digging deeper into storylines that I never meant to be a whole axe on their own. I don't want to discourage their playstyle, but I'm also having trouble, I'm also having a hard time getting them back to Strahd. So Curse of Strahd is an interesting one. It's it's different than other role-playing games because Strahd can be in their in their in their knickers all the time. So an easy way to have it is have Strahd show up, right? Have Strahd tied to it. But as a larger concern, if you've got like lots of NPCs and lots of side quests and things like that, I mean, you are generating those side quests. The idea that it's like, well, I'm making all this stuff and it's not my fault. Yeah. Like one of the things you could do is you could have NPCs that are all like, oh, you want to talk to me? Yeah, I'd love to talk to you. But of course, Strahd is right over there making me not talk to you. Oh, you want to, I really want to help you with your horse farm plan that you've got. But you know, all the horses aren't eating because Strahd is right over there in that castle and needs to be taken care of before the horses can be healthy. So you can sort of, you know, steer the direction of your campaign towards Strahd, whatever the side quests are. What are the hooks in the side quest that are hooking back to the main quest? What are the things they're finding that are drawing them back to the main quest? But the best feature that I have found to really help with a problem like this is something that kind of has to be done right in the beginning of the game. And that's during the session zero, having a bond that all of the characters share that's tied to solving the problem of the campaign. In Curse of Strahd's campaign, for example, it is save the citizens of Barovia from the devil Strahd. 
that whatever other character stuff they have going on, whatever backgrounds, whatever their reasons, whatever, all of them are built around this idea of saving the people of Barovia from the Devil Strahd. And if that's wired in from the get-go, the players are going to remember that. And during their quest, they're going to be, shouldn't we be dealing with Strahd? Instead of you saying, don't you guys want to deal with Strahd? Because if it's not built into their characters, the reality is they're like, I don't know why I'm going to go fight a vampire in his crazy-ass castle. We'll just leave him there. The other one is to have the villains do things that are affecting the world. And the players can see this and go, we got to go deal with this because they're screwing the world up. An example would be like if you're running Storm King's Thunder, which is a much more wide open RPG, having the giants getting worse and worse. The things that the giants are doing is causing more and more problems to the Sword Coast. The players are going to remember, we, we got to deal with these giants. Like, I know we got stuck in that dungeon for three sessions, and now we've got this other problem of the, the two different queens that are trying to take over this land, and we got to figure out which one. But the giants are like hitting people what are we going to do about the giants so you kind of bring the problem because the answer is like oh your job is to go kill Asarak the lich king but Asarak is just sitting in his little temple and he never comes out and he never does anything well why would you go there but if Asarak is slowly devouring all of the souls of the planet while you're busy riding dinosaurs maybe you should go do something about that so i think one of the drives is to tie you know have the npcs pointing at the main goal so like as they're interacting with npcs the npcs like you know, Strahd's right up there in that castle, right? Have the villains get into the world of the characters, that the villains are doing things. Strahd is really great at this. They see him. It's like, Strahd's right over there. Strahd's like smiling, like, I'm inviting you to dinner. So get the villain in front of the characters and make sure that whatever plots the villains have are visible. This is why like fronts are really powerful. That whatever the villains are doing, make sure that the characters see that they're doing it and recognize, I got we got to get involved in this because the villain's getting forward. The villain's doing stuff. So, Rich, I hope that helps a little bit. Joe M says, I'm about to start a new Wild Beyond the Witchlight game with up to seven players. He's using a little wide-eyed emoji icon, which is an appropriate icon for that statement. The adventure doesn't list how many players are expected, not seven. But I'm pretty sure it's less than that. That would be correct. Do you have any advice on adjusting the adventure material for that many players beyond your usual monster dials? Joe, I am sorry to say that your problem is not going to be adjusting the adventure material. Probably. That the problem you're going to have with seven players is screen time per character. That when you have seven players around the table, the DM is usually taking up half of the air, maybe. And that all of the rest of it is split among the players. And with seven, that's not a lot of time for them to be able to do things. So Wild Beyond the Witchlight is a good campaign when combat isn't really that big an issue because it doesn't necessarily have to have a lot of combat. But even in conversations with NPCs, that can take a long time. And particularly if you have players who are more open to talking to NPCs, that are more interested in talking to NPCs, they're going to they're gonna take a lot of the air too. Running with seven players is really, really hard. One thing I would recommend is run your game even if those seven can't make it. That say you're going to run that game at a specific time, and if people can't show up, we're sorry, but we're going to move on. And what you'll find is that probably you're not going to be able to get all seven at your game every time. What I would not do is say, we can only run the game when all seven are here. And some DMs do that. And in in this case, you've got two reasons not to do that. One is you're going to have fewer games. Two is it actually will run better when more people aren't there. So I would say we're going to run even if we only have four. So it would take four people canceling before you don't run a game. 
And what you might find with seven players is over time, some of them might not be able to show up very often at all. And then you ask, do you want to be on the on-call list? That when we have an open seat, I can call you and then you can come in. It's just hard to run a game with seven players, period. And it doesn't, the combat is not the issue. Yes, the dials, as you bring up, you can use the monster dials. More monsters, more damage, more hit points, more attacks. You can do all of those things to scale up combat for seven characters. And, but it's actually significantly more monsters, more hit points, more damage, more attacks, because the synergy of seven characters is much stronger than six and five and four. It, it doesn't grow linearly. It actually, it grows triangularly. They, they, the synergy is greater than the sum of the parts. So it is going to be harder to challenge them in combat, but that's also a minor, that means combat's going to take forever. But that's a mind that that is only one of the problems you're going to face with seven players, which is just screen time is screen time is just really hard. So I, I wish you luck. But the one probably the big thing I would do, Joe, is I would say you're going to run even if you don't have seven. And then what you'll find is that the games where you not have any seven can run a lot smoother. Mike H says my players are about to enter a city run by a council of five guild masters who can all become patrons or rivals for this next leg of our campaign. The party is in a hurry to seek the aid of the city, so they are most likely barging into a council meeting. How do I manage introducing five key NPCs and their conflicts all at once without both overloading the players and having a five-way conversation with myself? The answer is don't, don't do that. When they go into the council meeting, I would probably have one or two of the council members actually talk to the characters. When the, I, I would only have one or two of the council members actually work with the characters maybe even just one you'd have one who's sort of the key council member who's questioning them and talking to them the others are all silent one thing i might do is use face cards use pictures of each of them so that the and then maybe like a name and a face card for each of them whether you're in person or whether you're online give each one of them a picture but they don't all council members don't all have to talk during the council and instead you could have one or two that work with the characters that they're engaged with directly so they're not talking to each other and the other ones the characters could meet in different circumstances maybe the silent one comes up to them afterwards maybe they're addressed differently so that you're spreading out the introduction to these five council members over a longer period of time so you're not doing it all at once the other one is you might put interesting hooks on each of the npcs each of these council members that the characters might jump onto so maybe if it's rumored that one of them is actually the master of a thieves guild and he only got here because he bought his way on maybe the rogue is like "Ooh, i'd like to talk to that guy maybe another one is a cleric who happens to be of the same denomination as the cleric in the group and they go "Ooh, i want to talk to that person so you can drop in hooks so that later, after the council meeting is done, the characters will want to go talk to them instead of having each one kind of come up and introduce themselves. So in short, I would use face cards so that they have a picture for each of these people. I would have them stay silent until it's time to bring them up and spread them, spread their introductions out instead of just all at once, bring it out over time. And I would get even, give each of them or some of them hooks that you think the characters might latch onto to make that interesting for them to go react to that NPC. I think that those would be three things that I might try when I want to introducing NPCs like that. Laura says, you've created so many cool locations and adventures, and it's been fun on Patreon to see the city's arches grow. Thank you so much. I love the city of arches is a great joy of mine. I've really been enjoying watching city of arches grow, and I've been very excited to see people running it. How do you get your creativity flowing? Do you have any tips for DMs working on creating new worlds or adventures or aspiring adventure writers about how to generate new ideas and how to filter them, which ones to invest in more and which to discard? Oh man, I could talk for an hour about this topic just on its own, but I'm going to try to narrow my myself down. And 
again, advice is BS. So asking one person for advice on something like this, what works for me doesn't necessarily mean it'll work for anybody else. My life circumstances are very different than everybody else's life circumstances. So the kinds of things that work for me don't work for everybody else, but I can tell you the kinds of things that work for me and the kinds of things I've heard work for other people too. And maybe that can help a little bit, but again, it's not advice. It's more sharing of experiences. So the sharing, the experiences I will share is that I, and I talk about this in Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the same stuff that's like unlocking your, your DM's brain attic, which I talk about in Lazy, Lazy Dungeon Master is really valuable here. Absorb good fiction, read books, watch movies, watch TV shows, absorb good fiction wherever you can get it. And the more fiction you kind of bring into your world and let those worlds live in your head, they collide, they clash, you come up with interesting ideas, you come up with interesting NPCs, you come up with cool ideas for adventures and locations and stuff like that. That works really well. Use random tables. I talk a lot on this show about different random table generators. Raging Swan Press publishes probably the best set of random generators I've seen for anything. And you can use these random books to help generate ideas with random tables. The Lazy DM's Companion is built on random tables for a lot of things because randomness shakes our brain out of of ruts. It helps get away from stereotypical ideas and come up with interesting ideas and then build stories around randomness that works. Another thing I would consider is take a look at Ironsworn by Sean Tompkin. Ironsworn is an RPG you can play by yourself. It heavily uses random randomness and this idea of the Oracle generator to kind of build stories. It's a really fun RPG. It's a great way to do it. Take walks. I'm, I'm a big fan of going and taking a 30 minute walk by myself every day with no distractions. Try not to listen to a podcast. Try not to listen to music. Just go out there. Try to get into nature if you can. If there's a park nearby, walk around a park by yourself. Don't check Twitter. Don't check social media. Maybe shut your phone off. Maybe don't even leave your phone on you. Maybe leave it at home. Go take that walk and just think about stuff. And what I like to do, I don't know if it works for everybody, but one of the things that works well for me is I like to start off my walk by saying, what am I going to work on now? What am I going to work on in my head? So I might say something like, I want to put a new interesting building. Oh, here's one example when I did. I want to put a library in the city of Arches, but I want it to be kind of a crazy kooky library. I want to do like fun stuff with this library. So what would that be like? Who runs it? How is it built? Who built it? When? What are the kind of things? And I'll say like, for this walk, I want to build this library. And I'll go for the walk and I'll think about it and I'll dissect it and I'll ponder it and I'll come up with ideas. And I might jot some of them down. I might let it go. I might, I might let ideas go. But I really like the idea of sort of working on something in my head while I'm on a walk. I find that to be, a, it's, it's fun, it's powerful. It's, it's really kind of neat to sort of go there and to just let my mind spend 30 minutes undistracted, uninterrupted, going out and sort of exploring it. So that works too. When you talk about how do you filter them, the big one I go is what use is this to other people? So if I'm coming up with an idea, it's not enough if I'm like, I really love this thing and it's really great. What about everyone else? And how is it helping people? You've seen me. I've talked about this show that I'm trying to help GMs run better RPGs. That's my goal, right? Help GMs run better RPGs. How does this help GMs run RPGs? What is it about this that makes it easier for them? It's not just that it's cool. It's that it's useful. It has to be useful. That library is cool. What is useful about it? Does it? Are there quests there that the characters can go on? Is there interesting information? Is the NPC worth knowing? Like, what are the things that make this thing useful or not? And sometimes I'll just have ideas where it's like, eh, it's okay, but it's not really that useful. It doesn't really fit an RPG or it doesn't really, you know, I don't know what anybody could do with this in a game. And that's how I kind of filter ideas out. But I usually the ideas get filtered out early because I'm asking like, why does this matter to other people? Why would this matter to a GM? How does this make a GM's life better? 
And I think that that helps me sort of discard the other idea. The last thing I'll offer, which I used when I've been writing a lot of books, I did this when I was writing for my, my, my most recent project. I've, I haven't really done it with City of Art. I did do it with City of Arts a little bit, but I did it with Lazy DM's Companion a lot and a lot of other books that I wrote, which is there's this idea called the Pomodoro Technique. And the idea is that you basically set a timer. I think Pomodoro is supposed to be like 25 on and five off, but I found 50 50 minutes on and 10 off works for me. You set a timer for 50 minutes. You, you turn everything off. You do not let yourself go to email. You don't let yourself go to social media. You don't let yourself do anything other than the work that you're doing to work on this thing. You do it for 50 minutes. And then after 50 minutes, your timer goes off and you get 10 minutes to relax. You get 10 minutes to go check Twitter or check your social media or check your email or check Discord or whatever. You give yourself 10 minutes off. And then after you've you know, hit that pressure valve for 10 minutes, you do another 50 minute run focused on whatever you're going to do. And I did this for writing my last book. It worked really well. I was, I, I managed to get like, it's like 20 or 30 chapters of a book done in two weeks with that, you know, about 4,000 words a day, four or 5,000 words a day that I was able to do. And I didn't feel totally stressed and pressured because I had these like 10 minute breaks. I gave myself long lunches. I think I gave like an hour and a half long lunches where I could go take lunch and check a bunch of stuff and take a walk and then come back. And I would do about four of those a day. I think I did four to, yeah, about four sessions like that a day, four 50 minute sessions a day. It doesn't sound like a lot, but you get a lot done when you're really focused on it. So I found that to be really useful as well. So you might check that out. You can Pomodoro technique. There's a link in the show notes below. It's based on the idea of a, of a tomato timer, right? Pomodoro is a tomato and it's a timer that you can set for a certain amount of time, but you could just use your phone. Don't, don't fetishize stuff to try to get stuff done. Michael C says, I love and utilize your suggestion for dropping single use magic items, typically in the form of a trinket that casts a spell when how to use. However, there's some friction with coming up with how the characters know, for example, that the snow globe they found cast Tiny Hut when they smash it on the ground. When I hand wave and outright tell them, it feels like it cheapens the discovery a bit. How does my character know that? Whereas if I just say it's a snow globe, the players never give it a second look. Any suggestions? Yeah, there's little like in-world tricks you can give to tell them that it's certainly special. Like among all of the corroded crap that you see sticking around, this one is totally shiny and new. You could also say because you're trained in Arcana, you're able to tell that this snow globe definitely has a power. And after examining it, you recognize that it does X. So instead of just saying it casts Tiny Hut, you say you're able to figure out that it casts Tiny Hut. And, you know, there's there's definitely sort of, you want to treat it the same way potions are. Like potions, you take a sip and you know what it does. You don't want it to be hard to figure out what a trinket, what a, what a, what a single-use magic item does. You want them to learn. But a lot of times, again, you can use the base game rules, which is if they spend an hour exploring it, they're able to figure it out. But you could also tell people that are trained in Arcana or Religion that it can do it. You can just keep giving them more and more hints and clues and tips until eventually like, oh yeah, that's what it does. So there's definitely ways to do it. But one of my dirty tricks that I really love is to refer to information in the second person. So instead of saying it's a single use magic item that casts tiny hut, you say by you examining it and studying it carefully, you're able to recognize that it is a single use magic item that casts tiny hut. Well, they did it. Even though they didn't, you just said words, but they, it feels like they did it. And that's a really good trick that you can use in lots of places. Because you're an experienced adventure, you can feel air coming out of the cracks that tells you there's probably a room behind here. You didn't tell them. They learned it because of the character they are and the experience they have. So that idea of referring to information in the second person is a really good way to give information to characters and to players that makes them feel like they did something. It's a really fun trick. And it works really well. 
So that I use, use second person descriptions in lots of places, but you can certainly use second person descriptions when you are, when you are handling magic items and things like that. So that's a good one. Will N says adapting or lifting parts from old published content seems a natural part of the lazy DM way. Yes. And many folks have offered suggestions for updating to 5e or even procedures for improving them mechanically like Justin Alexander's three clue rule. Yep. Do you have any suggestions for updating old content to improve representation and a broader, more diverse worldview do we make the mayor a they them change the identity of the damsel in distress or give the kobold tribe more complex motivation a set of things to consider when updating old source books and adventures would be awesome yes so a i'm a 50 you know almost 50 year old cis white dude so i am not the best person to explain how better representation and better diversity should be in rpgs that said i try to keep a few little tips in my head there are, there are definitely other people that are worth checking out i would really look at how radiant citadel does it take a look at the book radiant citadel take a look at how it does that kind of thing and think about how you can sort of mirror the ideas that they put in that book in your own in your own book that's one place that i would start but there are a few things you could do one is I'm a big fan of switching switching genders of characters and without necessarily changing anything else. So a lot of times if you have a character and you've sort of built them on an NPC, sometimes those are really stereotyped, but the stereotype breaks when you switch the genders on them. That also could mean taking somebody who is a, has a binary gender and moving to a non-binary gender. So you can definitely keep that in mind. It's just a little, little switch that you could do. You could do something like a random die roll, but I don't know that I'd bother that much. Just in my head, I would periodically switch from one to the other. The other one is... This is one, a big one. It's something that I have to work on too. I think a lot of us have to work on it is when you're describing the appearances of people, don't always just say like, well, I'm only going to describe that they have dark skin and dark hair. And otherwise we're just going to assume they're white. Right. And that's a very common thing that people do. And instead you would say like, you know, no, there's one person that has, has blonde hair and fair skin, another one that has dark skinned and almond, almond eyes and, 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 and dark hair that you, you don't always want to just say, oh, we're only describing the ones that are, that, that, that are not white, which is a easy, it's a hard thing for, for white people like me to remember that. Oh yeah. Like our NPCs aren't all, they don't default to white. A, a new one, as far as getting rid of like bioessentialism, like all the goblins are terrible little black hearted thieves and all orcs are savages that live in caves is to switch up those stereotypical races and put them in your game. So you could have orc farmers who are very friendly to the characters and have strong traditions of their own and aren't, you know, they're, they're very honorable. And the same thing with goblins that you could have you know goblins that are working in places that are not trying to steal from them and they're not you know not greedy right there's all these sort of like ways that you can break that idea i really feel like eberron did this the best that if you want to see how like you can build rich cultures around these races that are you know typically the oh they're all a bunch of you know crooked little thieves take a look at how goblins and orcs are handled in Eberron because it's really fascinating. It's one of the reasons why I love Eberron so much is you have like the, the Kani Empire and you have, you know, these groups and even the groups that are kind of quote unquote evil, you know, that are monstrous groups that are evil aren't really evil, right? They just want, they, they just want what's theirs and they're willing to go to war over it. I, so those are, those are just a few ideas. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm really, you know, like I'm not the guy. And I think that there's lots of different places that you can look at online and lots of different articles you can read about it. And I would take, if you really wanted a couple of books that I would recommend that you could take a look at. And there are others too. There Coyote and Crow is a role-playing game that talks about Native Americans and fantasy. And that can help too. So there's lots of third-party publishing thing. The Ancestries and Cultures third-party product. I'll link to that in the show notes below. I talked about that last week too. Ancestry and Cultures, drive-through RPG product 
talks about this thing. But then a couple of products, Radiant Citadel and the Eberron Rising from the Last War book are both books that I think do a good job of showing how representation can be in the game. So, Will, I hope that helps. And friends, I want to thank all of you for hanging out with me today. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you did and you want more stuff like this, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get an RPG-related email sent directly to your inbox every week, plus a free RPG adventure generator. You can pick up any of my books on the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DMs Workbook, and the Lazy DMs Companion. Or you can support me directly on Patreon. You get access to the City of Arches Sourcebook. You get access to the Patreon Q&A, dedicated Discord channel, lots of exclusive adventures, all different kinds of things you can get. You can pick up any of those. You can find all of the links for all of those down in the show notes below. Thank you all very much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.